G'day, this is the Anarcho-Taoist, and we're listening to Linux for Everyone in Australia. Welcome home. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Linux for Everyone, the podcast about desktop Linux, open source software, and the people creating and enjoying it. My name is Jason Evangelo, and life is getting a little strange, isn't it? This may be an unusual episode for regular listeners of this show, and that's because it's going to be, I think, part life podcast and part uh, Linux podcast. I make every effort to be a voice of positivity, to motivate people, to encourage people, but I'm only human. And like the majority of humans on this planet Earth right now, we are going through something so unprecedented that is reshaping our our daily lives, our daily routines, the way that we look at the, the menial tasks that we do day in and day out, taking out the dog, going to get groceries, and it's, it's even affecting what we do at home. On Sunday, we had a magnitude 5.4 earthquake here in Zagreb, Croatia. The epicenter was about 10 kilometers from our apartment, and it was rather shallow, so uh, it woke us up at 6 or 6.30 in the morning, and it just felt like our entire apartment was shaking up and down, because it was. Now, anyone that has lived in this country of Croatia their entire lives have never experienced an earthquake of this magnitude. The last one that did any damage was 140 years ago. So amidst a global pandemic where the city is locked down and everyone is encouraged or, well, everyone is um, strongly encouraged to stay indoors and to practice social distancing and keeping apart from one another. That's already a difficult thing, right? Because we're, we're social creatures for the most part. But then you have the majority of residents from the entire capital rushing out of their homes or being forced to rush out of their homes. And it's like this strange, conflicting scenario. The most poignant example of this was at a local hospital, where everyone had to be evacuated. So you see these images of newborn babies and their mothers and sick people all huddling together in freezing, snowy conditions. Because the day of the earthquake is the same exact day that Mother Nature decided to put a halt on the spring weather and kind of reverse back into winter. But that is something that we can't control. There's a lot about this coronavirus situation that we have absolutely no control over. And yet, we are being controlled by it. Let me say that again. We are being controlled by it. I had a really fascinating discussion with a few of my uh, fellow Destination Linux Network creators over the weekend, and part of what came out of that is we were kind of pseudo-analyzing the trends of media consumption. And one thing that was called out is that, uh, let's take podcasts, for example. If you look at a site like podtrack.com or any site that tracks 
metrics and downloads and statistics of popular podcasts, it's normally there's a lot of tech and entertainment podcasts in that top 20. Those all got replaced by primarily news podcasts. And I added that that I realized I was waking up in the morning and going to Google's dedicated new COVID-19 section of Google News and um, constantly discussing all the headlines and and fretting and worrying and being anxious. What's next? What's around the corner? What can I do? What should we do? Are we going to be able to travel anywhere this summer, this winter? And then someone in the Linux for Everyone Telegram group, and I, I apologize that I don't remember who it was, but I want you to know this graphic that you sent made a big, big difference. We can retain some of our sanity and stay more positive for for ourselves and for the people in our lives by realizing what we cannot control. We can't control if others follow the rules of social distancing. We can't predict what will happen. We cannot predict what other people's motives are or how they will react or how long this will last or the amount of toilet paper that will be at the store. What we can control and what we should focus on is keeping a positive attitude, turning off the news, finding fun things to do at home, limiting our social media, perhaps, limiting and controlling our own social distancing, and caring for the people that we can care about. I strongly believe that we can extend that out into this Linux for Everyone community that we have all built together. Inside just our Telegram group, and within just a 30-minute window, I learned about two or three people that had lost their jobs. I learned about another whose father had become sick. Statistics and percentages and all of that pretty much dictate that some of you who listen to this show are probably struggling. You might be sick. You might have lost your job. I want you guys to know that this entire community is here for you. And I want it to be a safe place for you to just vent and talk about what you're struggling with and have some virtual ears that welcome you in and that can listen to what you're going through. So in this portion of the show, I'm going to ask you for two favors. Number one, if you if you need someone to talk to, to brighten your day, or just to let you get stuff off your chest, come into our Telegram community. It's t.me slash Linux, the number four, everyone. Now, my second request is for the community who's already there, or wherever you exist online. Please realize that a lot of people are having a really rough time right now, and um, we need to be a little bit more sensitive, and before we share that meme or before we make a joke about coronavirus, we need to understand that anybody who's seeing that could be directly affected. And it might not be quite as humorous to them as it is to others. All right, so let's take this coronavirus situation and and shift the conversation a little bit into more positive territory. Episode 31's Discovery of the Week is folding at home. Now, granted, it's not a discovery that I made. It has been around since the year 2000, but I'm calling it out here because the Folding at Home team 
has recently shifted a lot of their energy and resources into researching and fighting against the novel coronavirus. But you may not know about Folding at Home, so let me break it down really, really quickly. This is basically a distributed computing project, and it's a project that was designed exclusively to uh, tackle research relating to popular diseases like Alzheimer's, like Parkinson's, like cancer. And pretty much what it aims to do is use computer simulations to understand how proteins work and how atoms move within a protein and finding what's called uh, druggable pockets to have these, these therapeutic solutions to these common illnesses. Up until a couple months ago, it was primarily a CPU-based project, but now they have created these GPU workloads because GPUs are, are capable of some crazy, crazy compute, and um, all of the workloads that you get at Folding at Home when you're using a GPU now are devoted to a bunch of different coronavirus-related research and simulations. Now, this distributed computing project, by the way, has produced some tangible results in the past. And what really gets me excited is that before the coronavirus outbreak, they had about 30,000 regular users. And now they have 400,000 active users. And what that means is, according to them, Folding at Home is now capable of more compute power than the world's seven most powerful supercomputers combined. And you can very easily join this fight by installing the Folding at Home client. It doesn't matter if you're on Linux, on Windows, or on Mac OS. I've got a guide for doing it up on the Linux for Everyone YouTube channel. Uh, Linus Tech Tips has one as well. You can go to foldingathome.org and get the guides there and learn more about the project. But if you decide to jump in, I want to let you know that there is a Linux for Everyone team, and they are kicking serious butt, so thank you guys. The team number is 240869, and I'll have that in the show notes as well at Linux, the number 4, everyone.com. Jump into the Telegram, jump onto the YouTube comments, ask questions, uh, whatever you need, so that we can help you know get you on the right track and get you folding for a good cause. Now let's get into something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is the keyboard. It's a daily tool that's become ingrained in our work, our gaming, and our communication. But really, the basic fundamental design of a PC keyboard hasn't changed that substantially. You know, companies have improved ergonomics, the locations of certain specialty keys, but for the most part, we've just kind of adapted to the traditional layout of a keyboard rather than the keyboard adapting to our workflows and various needs. Well, System76 is kind of pulling an Apple, and, and let me clarify this, I really believe that System76 is the new, old Apple. Okay. <laughs> they, uh, fresh off the heels of announcing that it's going to design its own laptops in-house, now 
System76 is taking the same approach with keyboards. You can find a couple of the first prototypes over at the System76 blog, and I also have an uh, article up at Forbes.com about it. What, what really strikes me as interesting is the inspiration that they're taking. So they're talking about being inspired by stuff like uh, DaVinci Resolve panels and those mice that are kind of purpose-built for... Uh, CAD work, right? Such as the Space Mouse Pro 3D Mouse, which is one of the uh, mice that they used in a photo on the blog. So the substantial changes that it looks like they've made to the traditional keyboard layout, at least so far, and I'm sure this will change, is they have split the the space bar into two buttons so that you can assign one of its buttons to another task, probably anything you want, but they cite the enter key or backspace key as an example. And oh my god, as a as a writer, that would be so useful, just hitting space and then oop, and then, you know, uh, using your right or left thumb to just backspace or hit enter for a new paragraph. Um, again, that depends on the size of the keyboard. It depends on a lot of factors, really. But it's not that they're designing a keyboard that, that necessarily gets me this excited. It's the fact that they've brought their design, their manufacturing and hardware and OS development it's all coming under one roof in their uh, Colorado headquarters now. So, you know, you think about things like the Thaleo, and you think about things like, especially like, the laptops that they are designing in-house. What if these keyboards that they're designing, what if that approach finds its way onto the laptops, right? What if you can order a System76 laptop in the future with any kind of keyboard layout you want? with any kind of customization. Um, you know, we talked on a previous episode about Manjaro and Tuxedo teaming up to do these custom computers where you can have, for example, the super key can be your company logo or anything you want, or you can have a Klingon keyboard. But but what if, you know, System76 will completely tweak the keyboard just to their customers' needs on a on a case-by-case basis? Might cost more, but you can see the advantage there, especially when you also look at the fact that they're designing their own tiling window manager extension for the GNOME desktop. It's so all this stuff coming together. It gets me really, really excited. And um, it's been fun to keep my eyes on System76 because, like I said, I will, I will stick to this. I really believe that they are the new old Apple, the innovative Apple, the the Apple who really pushes boundaries and um, and tries new things. So kudos to them. And if you want to keep an eye on it, you can just go to blog.system76.com. Last week, totally on a whim, I decided to fire up a distribution called Endless OS. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think uh, my interview with Alan Pope triggered this because he was talking about how Canonical contributes uh, upstream, and we were talking a bit about some of those edge distributions that uh, that kind of exist in their own bubble. And he mentioned Endless OS, and it got me really curious and I had never heard of it before, 
But uh, it's it's kind of like that old NBC tagline. I think it was from the 90s where they were fighting against the stigma of reruns and they would say, hey, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. And this was very, very new to me. And I'm not sure why I, I hadn't really uh, heard much about it, but maybe it is because they exist in this strange bubble with this super specific target audience. But I've got to tell you, I you know, I use the phrase rabbit hole a lot, right? I approach Linux like it's an endless rabbit hole of discovery. Endless OS is like this oversized amusement park full of intersecting rabbit holes that go on for miles and these winding mazes of knowledge that you get lost in. I had a lot of fun with Endless OS, and I had all that fun offline. And that's kind of the hook of this Linux distribution. They primarily, I think, target it at um, developing countries and countries that don't have this thing that we, you know, we're, we're so accustomed to having all the time, this lifeline of internet connectivity. So I did a little research into the company behind Endless OS and found out that one of their core missions is bridging the digital divide, which, as you guys probably know, is the exact same mission as our uh, charity at Destination Linux Network, FreeGeek. Then I found out that they develop a... Uh, a learning laptop. It's called the Spark. It's kind of meant to be a child's first PC. And then I was like, oh man, is this for kids? Well, <laughs> let's just say it's for learners of all ages. I uh, I did a live stream on the Linux for Everyone YouTube channel, about 90 minutes if you want to to dig into it. it's um, It may be eye-opening for you. It certainly was for me. So many surprising and, and very well-polished things in this distribution. For example, it basically has Wikipedia built in. They call it Encyclopedia, but it has more than 50,000 of the most popular Wikipedia articles. There's a travel app. There's um, <laughs> there's a cooking app, which is a little bit deeper than Gnome recipes, if I'm not mistaken. It has 160 recipes divided into regular recipes and healthy cooking, and it also includes tons of tips on everything from getting rid of ants in your kitchen to properly boiling an egg or properly cooking rice. There's a, a how-to app that will teach you how to waltz or assemble a clarinet or breed turtles. I'm not kidding at all. Uh, you can learn how to work with CSS and HTML5. There's videos and lectures on that. There are these really, really uh, whimsical, almost, games, and one of them is called Hack. And it takes you on this journey through an operating system and uh, has this interactive command line game that, that teaches you stuff that you may not even know. So it's, it's targeted at kids, perhaps. But like I said, I really think it's for learners of all ages. There's a health app. There's Audacity is built in. Inkscape is built in. Blender is built in. There's videos on mathematics and astrology and history. And so it's a 16 gigabyte ISO, which is massive. But honestly, I sat there for 90 minutes, completely disconnected the uh, the internet from my virtual machine, and just had a blast. And it changed my um, perspective on a couple things. To be honest with you guys, I'm thinking I might start recommending Endless OS to people, based on their specific needs, of course, but... 
you know, in a in a world now where the internet is kind of a crazy, crazy place, if you can hand a laptop to a child and, uh, you know, it can be beneficial to them, useful and fun to them without them having to ever get online, that's not such a bad thing. Or, you know, a family computer where it's going to be shared by many people. Um, or just people that don't have regular guaranteed access to the internet. This is a pretty solid distribution. It's really polished. It's, uh, it's based on GNOME, but it's not actually GNOME. It's, it's a fork of GNOME. And it kind of looks a bit like this hybrid between Chrome OS and Android. Very straightforward to use, very intuitive to use. I would urge you guys to check it out if, if, um, you know, if not for yourself, just maybe for general curiosity, maybe you might want to add it to your list of uh, of distros to recommend. But anyway, I've got a live stream. Uh, well, I had a live stream. There's a video up on youtube.com slash Linux for everyone and an article up at Forbes.com about Endless OS. And that was a very surprising little journey. You know, I can feel my energy coming back now. I can feel my enthusiasm coming back. And uh, it's a pretty awesome thing to be able to sit in a room with a microphone and just broadcast out all of your feelings, whether they're jumbled or clear or um, somewhat upsetting or just full of ridiculous excitement. (laughs) And uh, yeah, this episode kind of touches across all of those, doesn't it? The last thing I wanted to touch on in episode 31 is Salient OS. No, I haven't forgotten about it. In fact, I'm still using the KDE version on the Kubuntu Focus laptop that I'm reviewing because it's it's pretty easy to just let it stick around. Uh, I started doing this Let's Play Linux series on YouTube, and I started off with Halo Combat Evolved from the Master Chief Collection on Steam and I've got it all set up now, and it's just, it's running so smoothly, and, you know, everything's bleeding edge, and the drivers are great, and everything's just already there for me, and uh, I did a kind of a run-through of a bunch of different games, and I just had a great, easy time doing that, with the exception of a couple titles like Far Cry New Dawn that just wouldn't launch, and um, Doom Eternal is is proving to be a bit of a headache for NVIDIA users. Aside from that, it's it's really awesome to see how fast this distribution is updated. In addition to the fact that it's you know it's based on Arch, so it's it's already going to have those really snappy system updates. But uh, seeing the improvements to the installer and seeing the interaction with the community that Silent Robot's having and seeing his own community grow. It's just really neat. So I may leave it on there for a while. I'm definitely going to do this entire uh, Let's Play Linux series on it until something changes my mind. Aside from that, I'm starting to play a bit with Ubuntu 20.04 and all of its flavors. So hopefully I'll have some interesting insights for you before it officially launches at the end of April. And one of the things I'm working on with regards to Ubuntu 20.04 is analyzing the performance and power efficiency differences between 20.04, 19.10, and 18.04. Because I'm really curious to see the power efficiency improvements with 
GNOME 3.36. There, there was a big difference, about a 20% improvement in power efficiency, I think, between 1904 and 1910. And I want to see what that looks like with 2004. And besides that, it looks really great. I'm really just in awe of the default desktop color scheme. That that's that gray with that splash of purple, and uh, especially when you go into like the toggles, it just looks really good. So uh, not sure it'll steer me away from from Pop OS, but we'll see. We'll see. Ubuntu was my first Linux love after all. Before I get out of here, I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode and every episode of Linux for Everyone and the entire Destination Linux Network. DigitalOcean makes it really simple to just launch something in the cloud and then scale it up as you grow. There's an intuitive control panel. They have wonderful support, very, very fair pricing. And right now, if you're not a customer yet, you can sign up and get not only a $100 credit on your account, but you can also get two months for free. All you have to do is go to do.co slash dln. That URL is do.co slash dln. And thanks a lot, DigitalOcean. We appreciate your support. I appreciate the endless support and all the emails and all the encouragement that I get from you guys, my listeners and my community. Wherever you're listening from, please stay safe, stay home, and take care of each other. I'll see you next time. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye. I'm going to do a shameless plug for uh, for the T. Earl Grey Hot podcast. Does anybody listen to that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. I think, I yeah. think there's many, many people. I think half of us have actually hosted that show. So. Yeah. I'm on episode 30, and uh, we were talking about Picard in general. It's a, it's a very divisive show, because people who loved Next Generation will say, well, yeah, great, Picard's here, but it doesn't feel like Star Trek. It doesn't feel like the Next Generation. Okay, I've got a question for you, um, Star Trek aficionados. Yeah? Oh, Trekkies pretty. is what okay. we prefer. Go ahead. Okay, so mm-hmm. why can't you just watch a show and enjoy it? That's like saying, why can't you just <laughs> yeah. pick one disc in a row and why enjoy do you have it? To it never happened. Holes in every single. No, no, it's a great that's show. Part of fun. Okay. That's part of the fun. That's part of the fun, Zeb. Fair, fair, fair it's enough. Fandom. Zeb, why it's just can't fandom. you play pixelated games and just enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, it's a game, on. Zeb. <laughs> just because it's pixelated doesn't take away from the fun. It does. So, Zeb, for me, for me, what makes Star Trek great is for was more next generation because I think that's the pinnacle, and all the rest are you know basically bottom feeders compared to it. But anyway, um, how dare but, you? But what I, what I think is for me, like for Star Trek, was that it it took me to a place of optimism and hope, and the idea mm. that better things are coming no matter what turmoil we might be in right now. It's this idea and belief that this this Roddenberry belief we're venturing out to, you know, expand the human status, you know, to, to become smarter, to become more knowledgeable, to grow as individuals. 